This is the Evangelical Church of Bermuda's weekly sermon podcast. Thank you for joining us. Here is this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 23. That's Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word, and we pray, Lord, that may the words that we just read be... uh, held deeply in our hearts and minds. May we not walk away and forget what we heard, but meditate on it and obey it. May we build our lives on the rock of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's, let's go into our text this morning in uh, Matthew chapter 8. <clears throat> Let me just ask the Lord's help one more time. Our Father, as we, as we consider this this last uh, part of chapter 8, uh, I do pray that uh, you, would, you would illuminate our eyes toward the truth of your word, through the spirit who indwells each believer. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. All right, last week we looked at the balance of discipleship. Uh, or, or the balance for a follower of Jesus. Uh, to be his disciple, you have to count the cost, realizing that there's going to be a price to pay. There's going to be things that, that we might have to give up. But we also have to clearly see Jesus and what we gain in following him, in becoming his disciple. This, this next section of, of our, our passages in Matthew, continues to look at this idea, but also goes back to, to Matthew's main goal in his gospel account. 
And, and that main goal is right on the front of your bulletin, establishing Jesus' authority. Okay? Establishing Jesus' authority. And, and this, is, this is why this gospel account ends with Jesus' great commission to his disciples. Right? And, and many of you who've, who've been you know, around the church for a while know, know Matthew 28, the last part. Um, verse 18 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority, this is how he starts off the Great Commission, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, Matthew helps us to see why Jesus can make this statement, this claim, and why we should believe it. He he does so by establishing Jesus' authority throughout this throughout this account. We've seen the authority of Jesus in his teaching. We've seen his authority over sickness and disease. And now we'll see his authority over nature and demons. Now, people, many people, feel uncomfortable with the idea of the supernatural. In fact, many people believe in Jesus, but not his miracles. In the early 1800s, Thomas Jefferson took a a razor blade to six copies of the New Testament uh, to create his own. And he cut out all of the references to the miraculous. He said he wanted a Bible that only contained the life and teachings of Jesus. That, that, is, that is the Jesus that many people want. A cultural rebel, a brilliant teacher, an, an influencer in his day, but not a Jesus who has all authority. See, that, that Jesus, the one with all authority, is not someone you just admire or emulate like, like a cultural influencer of the day, but someone you bow down and worship. That's the Jesus we're looking at. And to do that, we're going to look at three things within this text today. We're going to look at a great storm. We're going to look at a fierce duo. And we're going to look at a powerful peace. Okay, so let's, let's start with Jesus' power over nature with this great storm, verses 23 to 27. So if you, if you remember from last week, two, two men desired to follow Jesus, but Jesus puts up some roadblocks uh, to see if they had really counted the cost, to see if they truly saw his value. And we don't know if these two men followed. We don't know if they got in the boat or not. But we know from Matthew's account that Jesus has a minimum of four disciples at this point, which I think is pretty interesting. Those disciples are Peter, Andrew, James, and John, all fishermen, men who were very comfortable in a boat, men who knew this body of water, the Sea of Galilee, this this lake, who knew it well. 
And the account starts off like this in verse 23 of chapter 8. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. From, from Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, Jesus was in the process of retreating or escaping from the crowd for a time by stating his desire to go over to the other side of the lake. As I mentioned last week, the other side was not Jewish territory, so it, it was not a place where Jews would feel comfortable going. When Jesus finally gets into the boat, right here in this verse, his disciples, his disciples followed him. That, that's, this is the most basic test of being a believer or disciple of Jesus. When he points the way, will you follow? It, it's, it's not always going to be easy, as we will see. but we have to follow to be a disciple of Jesus. Look what happens. I wish instead of a reading, Trevor, thank you for reading, but I wish instead of a reading we could have just like acted this one out, both of these accounts, because these are pretty intense, okay? Verse 24, And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, But he, Jesus, was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. This this must have been some storm, which which was not uncommon in this lake, sort of nestled down to the hills as the the air would rush down uh, from from these hills and stir up the water quickly. This, This word, great, here is, is the word, the Greek word, mega. And I think you probably know how we use that in English, right? That's, that's where we get our English word mega. It's, it does mean sort of great. Uh, so if, if you said to someone, I got caught in a mega storm, right? P- people would know that you're expressing a, a, a grandest, an intensity, Right? And that's, that's, what this, that's what this word does. Uh, there's an intensity, a, a greatness, a fierceness. Now, now remember, at the very least, Jesus has four experienced fishermen in the boat. And they are panic-stricken. So you know this must have been some wild storm. And Jesus is asleep. That doesn't seem, it almost doesn't seem plausible. Like, how can he be sleeping with this mega storm going on? Well, you have to remember that previously Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law. Do you remember that? And then, and then he was staying there. His mother-in-law got up. She started, she started serving Jesus. And, and word got out that Jesus was in that house. And so... Everyone from all around brought their, brought their sick to him, and he, he stayed up and, and healed, we're told he healed all of them that came. Nobody was turned away. He healed them all. So Jesus is exhausted. He is exhausted. Have you ever slept through like a thunderstorm? Right? It's because you're tired, right? 
And, and then some people, how could you sleep through that? It was like booming. Well, I guess it's, it's a long day. It's a long day. The disciples wake Jesus, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. I'm sure they didn't say it like that. But you can, you can, you can feel the intensity of this situation. Then we have the response of Jesus in verse 26. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. <laughs> Notice that Jesus first addresses them with a question. Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Right? The megastorm is still going on during this question, during the first part of this question, and the second part too. But because, because the storm's still going on, it almost seems absurd that he would ask this. They're obviously afraid of becoming tragic victims of this sudden storm, right? But then Jesus links their, their large fear with their lack of faith. See, fear, fear is a reality for everyone. We, we all have certain things that, that trigger fear uh, to well up within us. It, 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 might be, it might be storms to some. It might be heights. It might be crowds. It might be exams. It might be confrontations. It might be dogs. It might be dentists. The, the, the things that trigger our fear override our senses and take us to the place of panic. Right? We're not trusting in anything any longer. We're just panicked. When you're panicked, you're, you're not much good for anything. Jesus drills down in the midst of this storm and asks, why? Why? Certainly this is a legitimate reason to be afraid unless we have a trust in something that can override our fears. That something is Jesus. That something is Jesus. Jesus is in the boat with the disciples. He did not come to earth to be killed in a boating accident. Further, to show these disciples that they had no reason to fear, he calms the storm. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. We go from a great storm to a great calm. Right? That second word, that second great in great calm is that same word, mega. You, you know when a storm is ending, don't you? You've seen it sort of as, as a storm passes by. It, things kind of slow down a little bit, right? Things, things, the, the sea takes a while to, to calm down again. But here, we go from a mega storm to a mega calm. Right? In an instant, you can, they would have seen the sea like glass. Now that's something. 
Right? Could you imagine like the, the wild ride that they were on, and then all of a sudden, no wind, no waves, glass sea. Incredible. Incredible. That, that's, that's why the disciples do not have to fear the storm. Jesus has authority over nature itself. When, when Jesus is with you, you can sleep. You can sleep just like he was in the midst of the storm. In, in, the, in the Old Testament, the idea of sleeping during difficult times was a sign that you had a trust. You had a trust in God. Something that went above your fears. The reality for the modern-day disciple of Jesus is that Jesus is not just with us. He's in us. The Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, dwells within us as gospel-believing Christians. Jesus said himself to his disciples that it would be better for them when he goes because then he would send to them the Comforter, which is a reference to the Holy Spirit. See, we, we don't just have Jesus in our boat, or in our car, or in the hospital room, or in the plane, or at our school, or college, or workplace. We have him in our hearts, always, wherever we are. What a comfort that is. That that supersedes fear. Now back to the boat. Let's look at the reaction of the disciples. Verse 27. And the men marveled, saying... There's a lot of marveling that goes on in Matthew, by the way. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? These disciples could not answer that question. Yet they soon would hear an answer. But before they answer that question, we, we, have, we have another incident. It's the next part of our text, verses 28 to 34, a fierce duo. So Jesus and disciples get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So they're on the, they're on the eastern side. Non-Jewish territory, uncomfortable enough, but then they make land at a graveyard, right? an unclean area for, for Jewish people. And it's here that they meet the fierce duo, verse 28. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, Two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. So fierce that no one could pass that way. These, these must have been two scary dudes. They, they were so fierce that, and that word fierce, you could translate it violent or dangerous. They, they were so fierce, so violent, so dangerous that, that no one passed this way. In, in Mark's gospel account, they, they tried to chain one of these guys. 
he would like break out of the chains and then rip his clothes all off and just terrorize people naked. This is scary stuff. Now, I realize some of you may have doubts about the idea of demons or demon possession. In our modern age, we like to package this type of behavior with, with medical names. We drug people, put them in institutions to manage them. There's little thought of demon possession today, but our Bible says it's a real thing. But it's not just limited to violent, dangerous, erratic behavior. And it doesn't mean that someone who's violent, dangerous, erratic is demon-possessed, okay? But believing in a, in a devil and demons is believing that there is, there is a system devoted to evil and its practices. An organized system of evil devoted to chaos. I believe it's the only way we can explain such historical atrocities like the formation of the Third Reich. I mean, how, how else can you explain something like that? Or, or, or more recently, what, what about this, this man in Florida who was just sentenced to life in prison without parole for, for shooting 17 people in a school? Like, why, why would anyone do that? And, and, and further, like, they interviewed this guy, and it was not a spur-of-the-moment decision. Like, he didn't, like, snap one day and just go do this. He said he'd been thinking about it and planning for it for some time, for years. He said it kept popping up in his mind, randomly. That's, that's strange. He, he, he studied mass murderers to learn their tactics. He watched the extended footage of things like Columbine and Virginia Tech. He knew he would only have a maximum of 20 minutes to inflict as much damage as possible. He said the only reason he stopped was because he thought he killed everyone and that no one's left. <laughs> a nation cries for answers for why someone would do something like that. But they will never get unless they consider the demonic. But you know, the other danger for us is attributing everything to the demonic. Not everything evil is, is of the demonic. I think, I think C.S. Lewis sort of had it best. You know, we, we, we need to believe in the demonic, but not overbelieve it, not elevate it. Martin Luther wrote in his, in his hymn, A Mighty Fortress, this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. 
The, the enemy of God is active and still prowling around seeking who he can devour. But we need not fear. Let, listen to the rest of the, the, stanza, the stanza from Luther's hymn. We will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Verse 29, and behold, they cried out, what have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? <laughs> the demons know who Jesus is. They answer the disciples' question, what, what sort of man is this? Listen to the demoniac. He is the Son of God a confession that would later appear by Peter and, and a Gentile Roman soldier at the cross. These demons know Jesus and, and they know he will execute judgment over them one day as well as the rest of the spiritual forces of evil. Now this next part is pretty wild. Verses 30 to 32. Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. One little word. Go. So they came out and went into the pigs and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The demons begged Jesus to send them into a herd of pigs that's in the distance. And he casts them out. Jesus says, one little word, go. One little word shall fell him. And they go into the herd of pigs and the herd stampede down the hill into the sea and drown. Why in the world did Jesus permit this? You ever wondered that? Like, why? There are many thoughts around this, but I think the best one is that Jesus wanted a visible proof of what happened here. Right? There were demons in these men. And when Jesus told them, go, and they went into the pigs, the entire herd goes whack. Nuts. And rushes down into the water and die. We'll see the same sort of visible proof in the next, in the next Bible text next week. It's a visible proof of what happens. There really was a legion of demons in these guys. Right? Jesus didn't use hypnosis to calm them down. Right? It wasn't some kind of a trick. 
Let's look at verse 33 and 34. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Jesus is, is rejected. They, they probably feared his power. They most likely feared his authority. But they most certainly preferred hardy pigs to healthy people. The, these men were now sitting clothed in their right minds, as, as Mark's gospel alludes to. And they are no longer a threat to themselves or others. But the focus is not on these men, but on the material loss from the pigs. Right? We, we clearly see the values of the people in this region. You know, we can, we can get our values off-center, too. It's easy when we get our eyes fixed on the wrong things. We often get our eyes fixed on things that we think are most important because we believe they'll bring us peace, contentment, happiness. But only Jesus can give us that peace that we are all looking for. It's a powerful peace. Did you notice the link between these two historical accounts? It's, it's the powerful peace that Jesus brings. Only Jesus can take the most violent of storms and turn it into a mega calm. Only Jesus can take the most violent of men and bring them to their right mind. There, there's another link as well. Both the disciples and the two demon-possessed men have something in common, too. They could not save themselves. If the disciples did not have Jesus, they would have perished in the storm. If the demon-possessed men did not encounter Jesus, they would have stayed in their former state. The disciples, these two men, and you and me, we don't have the resources within ourselves to save ourselves. There is no powerful peace in our lives without Jesus in our life. That's because Jesus is the Son of God. And as the Son of God, He has the favor of God the Father upon him. And that's the only resource we truly need as fallen, broken, sinful people. On the cross, Jesus would take upon himself the sins of the world. And, and he would do so for whoever would put their little faith in him and his sacrifice on the cross. When we do that, Jesus willingly gives us his favor. The favor that, that he has with God. 
and then he puts his spirit, not beside us, but within us, as a glorious down payment for the life to come, eternal life. Don't forget this. Don't forget this. You, you can only be saved by grace. And not anything that you can strive for. And that grace is only found in the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And who brings a powerful, perfect peace into our life. Let us pray. Father, as, we, as we've looked at these two historical accounts, help us to marvel like the disciples. Help us to have in our mind's eye the reality of what this must have looked like. And help us to grab on to the truths that are found in this passage so that we may have that powerful, perfect peace that only Jesus can bring us. For those of us who have it, may we remember it. For those of us who don't, draw them to your Son, I pray. May they begin that journey toward being a disciple of Jesus following him wherever he shows, wherever he goes. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, check out our website at ecb.bm. Join us again next week for our next podcast.